0: Well, this morning I'm going to have you open up your Bibles to the Old Testament, Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you turn about toward the middle of your Bible and you find the book of Psalms, right after Psalms you'll find Proverbs, and then right after the book of Proverbs you'll find Ecclesiastes. So go ahead and open up to chapter 1. Now, the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter um, 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we must keep in mind as we study the Word of God, that that's God's desire for us, is that we would be complete, fulfilled, right? Um, Instructed in righteousness. And sometimes the Word of God reproves us, corrects us, right? It it always instructs us. And the, the book of Ecclesiastes is no exception to that. There's plenty for the seeker of God to learn as you stroll through this book. And what I really love about this book is it presents to us human reasoning. That is, it gives a perspective that is not necessarily spiritual in its nature, but but as you read this book, it does indeed have the, the effect of spiritual illumination upon our lives. I think you'll see what I mean as we read through this book this morning and I expound on it a little bit. So let's just go ahead and, and jump into verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, if you don't know, this is King Solomon that wrote this book. Okay, He was a very, very, very wealthy man. Keep that in mind as we read this book. And verse 2, uh, 2 here says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, the word used there for vanity is the word heval in the Hebrew, and it's a word that means breath or vapor. Okay? It reminds me of what the Apostle James said in the book of James, chapter 4. And verse 14, where he said, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And this is what Solomon is getting at here. The perspective that he gives us in this book is that we shouldn't take everything in this life so seriously. Right? When we get stressed out about things, when we get into sour relationships with other people or little disputes you know, with people we may even love, we are really losing focus on what does and what does not matter. Jesus advocated a no-worrying kind of life, a no-thought-for-tomorrow life. And yet, all too often, many things in this world take a strong grip on us, and we allow it to. And we allow our lives to be lived in such a pattern where it becomes the norm that we get stressed out or we get uptight or whatever. But again, Solomon here in this book is going to show us something about this life that he says, it's all vanity. It's it's just like a vapor. It's all just passing away. Nothing lasts. There's nothing that we should get so worked up about in this world. He says in verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. You see, this is a great reality that if we would just take the time to think on it, it can have a very beneficial impact on our lives today. And that is the fact that life comes and goes, right? You can call them seasons, if you will. Certain things happen in life and they come and go, right? We shouldn't spend our lives stressed out as a result of being too focused on the temporary things of this life. People have come and gone before us. Our days under the sun will all too quickly come to an end as well for you and me, right? We all have ancestors that died hundreds of years ago even, right? And the earth still went on without them. Everything still kept going. And everything that they worried about, and everything that they stressed about, and everything that they piled up for themselves, meant nothing in the end. It's all vanity. Okay? The sun, verse 5, "...the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose." The wind goes toward the south and turns around toward the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. So again, life goes on, folks, right? Your job, the little petty things in this life ain't worth all the stress. Your house, your vehicles, everything under the sun, none of it is worth the time and the, uh, and the attention that we too often give to it. And sometimes it consumes us, right? Everything like He's saying in these verses here, verses 5 through 7, everything keeps going as it, as it does. God has it all under control. He's all got it under order. Today, many people stress about global warming and they take that out of God's hands, right? And they make up this stuff. and But yet, God's got it all under control. It's always continued to be what it's always been. Nothing's changing. All, the, verse 8, right? All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. Now, keep in mind here that Solomon is not talking about new inventions and such here, right? He's talking to us about rivers and streams and the way everything just keeps going, the way the earth keeps doing what it's doing. Because, right? of course, we have modern technological advances that never existed a hundred years ago. But a hundred years ago, or a man or a woman that toiled under the sun had the same choice that we do today as to what perspective to have on this lifetime of ours. Right? That, that is, back then, they could have allowed it to consume them as well. And many people have died from stress-related causes, all because they get so worked up about this breath, this vapor, this vanity of vanities that this life is. It's temporary. Verse 11 says, There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after them. Let me ask you, your great-great-great-grandfather, what were his political views? You know, how worked up did he get about something? Do you even remember? Did it get passed down to you? Do you even know? There's no remembrance of former things, but yet we take so many things on today and we stress our lives out as if they're all so important, right? And they beat people to death and they take people into their graves. Verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task that God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. You see, things on this earth are always in need of repair, right? You buy things, you you get a house, you got to repair it, a car, whatever, right? Nothing can ever be or ever will be perfect in this life. That's what he's pointing out here because first of all, There's too many opinions of what perfect is in the first place, right? And there's always someone to replace you when you move on and the material things you hold dear in this life, the next generation isn't going to care anything about them, right? I communed, verse 16, he says, "...I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge." And this was all true about Solomon. This is what he did. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now again, keep this in perspective here. This is written for our learning so that we don't make the mistake of thinking that this vapor of a life that we now live matters so much, right? Many people spend countless hours working for things, learning new things, all in an effort to have more in this life, while all the while it's killing them quicker than necessary. When Solomon says here, "...he who increases knowledge increases sorrow," He's saying the more you know, the more you're responsible for and the more you have to think about. Right? But let me interject something here before we read on. Oftentimes we get the impression that because it's in the Bible, it's always black and white, right or wrong. But Solomon did not write this to tell us that learning is wrong or that working is wrong, having things is wrong. That's not the point here. Right? But rather what he's telling us is that we have, what we can learn from all this is, is to not let the things of this world consume us and, and make them out to be more important than they really are to where they rob from us and they steal from us peace and joy and relationships and such, right? Verse 1 of chapter 2, I'm going to keep going here. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, But surely this also was vanity. Now, mirth is a word that means amusement with laughter. So being amused and laughing about it, right? Again, this is not wrong. But life under the sun is short. And even with the good things, even all the good things in this life are going to pass. Everything's going to go by. And what this book is doing, and and you'll see at the end of it, I'm not going to be able to cover all the Scriptures, but I am going to take you to the end later. But... All of this is pointing us back to having faith in God and living a life that glorifies Him and not being consumed with everything in this world. He said, verse 2, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. So in other words, he didn't get stinking drunk here. He's saying, I kept my wisdom about me. But I tested wine to see what kind of joy I could get out of that, what kind of pleasure I could get out of that, right? Because today in our world everything's all about the party scene, right? You drink and it makes you happy, and you know, and you, you drink the alcohol and you do all that, right? But he goes on, uh, he goes on and says that. That he also searches out how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. So Solomon was testing everything. How much pleasure is good? How much laughter? How much amusement? What, What does all this accomplish? He was testing everything. And keep in mind that God gave Solomon wisdom. That was something that God gave specifically to Solomon, was wisdom. And here's a man that wrote about it, and he tested out everything, and he passed it on to us in this writing. He says in verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all those who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces i acquired male and female singers the delights of the son of men and musical instruments of all kind so do you see what solomon did here he searched out and tested everything under the sun prosperity power authority entertainment of all sorts so i became great and excelled more than all who were before me in jerusalem All my wisdom remained in me, he said. So again, Solomon never allowed himself to get out of control. He was just testing the value of everything here. And we already know what the answer he found in in the things that he searched out was. what What did he find out about it all? He tells us it was all vanity. It was all like chasing after the wind. Some people focus so much of their attention today on entertainment the music they listen to. You walk around, you see people walking down the streets with headphones in and they've got music running through their veins and they're, they're seeking something. They're trying to satisfy themselves. They're not content within themselves, right? So they're seeking all kinds of entertainment and all kinds of wine and all kinds of sex and drugs and all of this stuff, right? Whatever, verse 10, he says, "...whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor." So he worked hard. He made a lot of money. He had a lot of things. And he took the time to enjoy it, he says. "...then I looked," verse 11, "...on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed..." all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So are we getting this here? Are we seeing how nothing that you do on this earth as it pertains you know, to what you can grab and to what you can gain, none of it has any real meaning at all, right? I'll say that in a different way. If you, if you strive in this life to buy, to sell, and to get gain, to, to work and work for your retirement and to build things up and all of that and you think that in the end there's going to be some kind of pleasure in it, you're very sadly mistaken. How many people work and work and then they retire and die? I see it happen to people all the time. Right? And how many people work and work and work, they buy and they sell and they seek prosperity and then they and they lose all the things in life that really matter, like familiar relationships, right? Family, right? Good friendships and such because they're too focused on all the wrong things. They spend too much time focused on vain things, things that get old and perish. The house you own that you spend so much of your time to make payments on, it'll someday be, be torn down. right? The cars that we drive, the, They'll break down. They'll end up in a junkyard someday. Remember, I said that this book is written from human reasoning to get us to think, but yet it can have spiritual implications in our lives if we allow it to, if we'll take the time to think about it. And I'm hoping that we're seeing those spiritual implications here. Verse 12, Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king, only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness." Now there's something that we really need to learn right there. Wisdom excels folly like light excels darkness. Wisdom is far better than folly, right? Fun and laughter and mirth and all that. Many people do foolish things in the name of fun, leaving wisdom to be hidden under a bushel somewhere, right? But wisdom is better than fun, just as light is better than darkness. In so many cases, it's better to be wise and to walk away from what looks like fun. Because temporary fun often leads to many years of sorrow, many consequences. Many young people get involved in this kind of stuff. Oh, I'm just doing this for fun. Oh, this I'm fun. It's fun, so I'm doing it. But then there's consequences that last their whole life as a result of what they do. So for sure, wisdom is better, is a better way to, to live. But look at what Solomon says next in verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, As it happens to the full, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the full forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And and how does a wise man die? As a fool. Just like a fool, in other words, right? Solomon points out here that in the end, the one event happens to everyone on the earth, and that event is death. So in the light of that fact, wisdom and folly really amount to nothing either. If you are wise in this world, let's say, right? As it pertains to wisdom in this world. Let's say that you do well in business, you invest well, and you're very well off as an old man or an old woman. All that worldly wisdom amounts to nothing when you die, because all that you've gained will just be left behind for someone else. So there is good in wisdom as it relates to the here and now, but if you think your wise worldly choices are worth anything in the end, you're wrong, right? You will never figure out a way to take it with you. You came into the world with nothing... And we're going to leave the world with nothing. Again, keep in mind the perspective that the Word of God is trying to give us here through this writing of Solomon. And if you're greedy about the things you have, you will be sorely disappointed as the end of your life draws near. Because with greed, you went out and you gathered and you gather and you gather and you lost human relationships. Maybe you missed time with family members and such because of all the greed you had. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all of my labor in which I toil and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. You see, not only is it vanity, it's, it's 100% truth here. You will leave everything behind and, and what it meant to you, it won't mean to the next person. Therefore, verse 20, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what is man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Now think about that. He says, even in the night, his heart takes no rest. Has your job, your, your finances, your, your worries about the things you have and don't have ever kept you up at night? It ain't worth all of that worrying. It's all vanity, right? Nothing is better, verse 24, For a man then he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? Solomon's, again, he's pointing out, I have everything, I've had everything. He was the richest man, the most wealthiest man. He had everything, and he's tested it all. So he said, I know what I'm talking about here. And all of this human reasoning that he's doing, he seems to have figured something out here. Your soul should enjoy the good of your labor. Don't let work consume you. Don't come home from work and sit around thinking about work. Get up and get out. Spend some time with friends, with family. Enjoy the life that you have. For God gives wisdom, verse 26, and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So again, you got to keep reading here, folks. But there is a conclusion that Solomon will come to at the end of this book. But for now, he's pointing out that that, uh, life on this earth isn't the end-all, be-all. There's a greater focus than what this temporary life provides. There indeed are the haves and the have-nots, but in the end, they both die. There was an old saying, He who dies with the most toys wins. I remember that bumper sticker in the early 80's, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. But then another saying came along that said, "...he who dies with the most toys still dies." Right? And that's the truth. No matter what you try to gather, no matter what you try to gain, in the end, you're going to leave it all behind, so it ain't worth all that we put into it. In the sense that, of course, we have to work. Again, this has given us a certain perspective here. Don't think that work is bad, or learning is bad, or any of these things are bad. But we keep a proper perspective of them, right? The Apostle Paul said that he learned how to be content in all situations. He said, I know how to be abased. That means to be made low, to have nothing. Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, he says. He says, whether I have abundance or whether I have nothing, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. He kept his mind on Christ, the author and the finisher of his faith. So what if it is God's will that in this lifetime, in this very temporary period of time, that you and I have on this earth There are some that have an abundance, and others that do not. If we get bitter about this, then it just proves that our hearts are not right, doesn't it? Because after all, we're not supposed to be chasing after the things of this world anyway. It's all vanity. It's not worth the stressing of our souls. In this world, there are good times and bad times, good seasons and bad seasons. Let's keep reading chapter 3, right? To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Again, keep in mind here, the Bible is not telling us that it's right to hate or to tear down or whatever, tear down others. The Bible speaks truth. And the truth is is that in this world, there is war. In this temporary life, from a human perspective that Solomon's given us here, there is war. There is hate. There is destruction. That's just the truth about the way it is in this world. And that's why we are not called to place our faith in the here and now, but rather in the yet to be. Verse 9, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? That's a question that's about To have an answer here. Let's keep reading and we'll see. Verse 10. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. So, how do you enjoy your labor as asked in verse 9? What task should you be occupied with as spoken in verse 10? Verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You see, we as mankind often wonder about eternity, but we are not able to figure out this great and mighty God of ours, are we? We can't fully understand God from our own human reasoning, from our own human intellect. But there is a way to enjoy your labor under the sun. There is something that you and I should occupy ourselves with. Verse 12. Here it is. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So do you enjoy the fruit of your work? Do you spend time doing good with your life? Are you only a taker? You work, 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 and never give, 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 right? You never enjoy what your labor can produce, You spend so much time in a consumer mode that your life produces nothing. When you allow yourself to be consumed by work and buying and gathering for yourself, you are cheating yourself of life's real enjoyment. Human relationships, verbal face-to-face conversations, loving one another, serving one another, getting out and being with people. Today, Facebook and things like that are cheating people out of life. I really believe so. 500 friends, but their soul is still searching. The gift of God is to rejoice, to do good, to fellowship with other breathing human beings. That's what God made us for. That's what fellowship is. Face-to-face conversation. Right? Being consumed by anything in this life is not God's plan for us. It will all pass away. Be it work, be it entertainment, be it video games, mindless movie watching, stressing about the money you don't have, stressing about the money you do have. This is not what God wants our lives to be consumed with. This is not the gift of God that He's given to us. Again, we need to get up. We need to get out. We need to live life with other people. Do good with the fruit of our labor. Enjoy our family. Enjoy our friends. Verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. In other words, it'll be firm. You're able to stand upon it. It's a firm foundation. Nothing can be added to it, he says, and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. What's he saying here? He's saying God is in control. Let Him be in control. Let God be God. And surrender our lives completely to Him as God. And don't let ourselves get all consumed with everything else. That which has already been, verse 15, and what is to be has already been. Let me read that again. That which is has already been. And what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. You see, we need to let God be in control of what He controls. For example, He made this world and He can keep it going like I said earlier, right? But there are things that we're going to be accountable for. Today, people are all mixed up, right? As a matter of fact, people have been mixed up and messed up ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. Today, right, like I mentioned earlier, politicians worry about the weather and climate control, but yet they'll vote to murder babies and abort children, right? It's all mixed up. It's all backwards. This is what God created. This is what God made. But man wants to flip it because man wants to be God. Right? Global warming is a focus while sin runs rampant and no one's doing anything about it. People are being killed in the streets and all kind of, thing, all kind of sin is going on. But God can handle the climate. But mankind, but mankind will be responsible for their sin. What God does is good and it's forever. It's a firm foundation. But you and I will have to give an account for what we do. Verse 16, "...Moreover I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time..." There for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over the animals, for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. All return to the dust. So Solomon here, again, is speaking about the physical body, this physical life. And again, he's using human reasoning here. This body of ours, just like the animals, is going to return to the dust. But there is a way that we are unlike the animals. And that is spiritually. Verse 21, who knows the spirit of the sons of men, right? Mankind, which goes upward and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So we are very much unlike the animals in that we are created in the image of God. But Solomon again is saying as it pertains to this life, as it pertains to this body, this temporary world, we're all going to die. It's all just going to pass away. Verse 22, so I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Verse 1. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun, and look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is He who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So again, let's follow Solomon's reasoning here. This world can be a cruel and evil place, can it not? And that's the bottom line that Solomon's saying here. It could be cruel and evil here. Again, I saw verse 4, that for all the toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. So don't waste your time keeping up with the Joneses, folks. But also, don't be foolish enough just to sit around and do nothing like the fool in verse 5. That's the two things pointed out there. Don't envy your neighbor. Don't, that's vanity, grasping for the wind. But don't sit around and do nothing either verse 6. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. That word quietness there speaks of having peace in your heart. You need to work to have that what you need to sustain life, but you don't need to be greedy. Being greedy steals your peace, and it's like chasing after the wind. And let me say this too. Not only being greedy, because everyone knows being greedy is wrong, but being consumed by life and what you do steals your peace, right? Being content and given to others, as we talked about earlier, as the Apostle Paul said, right? Godliness with contentment. That's great gain. It's that simple. Just live a godly life. Let God be God and don't be consumed by everything. Verse 7, Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun, There is one alone, without companion, he has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eyes satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So what's the moral of all that? Have relationships. All those verses I just read. What's the moral of it? Have relationships. Don't be consumed. Get up. Get out. Be around other people. There's strength in human relationships. God doesn't want us, you know, just being, you know, all about, oh, this is all about me. I'm just all for myself. I have no friends. I, I didn't take the time to, to have a wife. I didn't take the time to go out and get a husband for your women. I, you know, whatever. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. It was all about me. It was all about what we gather and what we gain. Unfortunately, and this is just my opinion, okay? But unfortunately, today, couples are waiting and waiting and waiting to have children until they get their money in order. till they get their careers in order, Right? And they're just waiting. And unfortunately, they're not having children, we're not reproducing, they're not enjoying that kind of thing. So, and, and even people today are waiting until much later in life to get married. Now, I know there's circumstances that cause all this in some situations, but I'm saying, when someone makes the choice to say, you know what, my career, my job, my money is more important than marriage. My career, my job, my money, it's more important than having children. That's not what God intended. God said, Be fruitful and multiply and enjoy, right? We're to enjoy one another. We're to enjoy relationships, right? So that's partly my opinion, partly the Word of God. But verse 13, "...better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born, in, born poor in his kingdom." So Solomon here is simply describing a king that came out of poverty and, and even served some time in prison, and he rose to greatness. But when he got old, he wouldn't listen to anybody. He wouldn't take any advice. And he's saying, a poor young man is better than that old king. And in verse 15, he's still talking about the young man that succeeded the old king. And he says, I saw, all the living who walk under the sun they were with the second youth who stands in his place there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind so people are Fickle, Never satisfied. You can strive to rise to prominence in this life, but in the end, there will always be someone that doesn't approve of what you do. Again, it's all vanity. Grasping for the wind. Now, of course, I'm not going to read through this whole book, but I, I do want to encourage you to finish reading the book of Ecclesiastes here. But there's something that I do want to close with here this morning. And if you'll just permit me a few more minutes, I want you to see Solomon's conclusion because we've read a lot of stuff here. And I want you to see Solomon's conclusion in all of this. So turn to the last chapter, chapter 12. chapter 12, um, verse 9. And moreover, he says, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. So in other words, as we read everything, Solomon seems to be throwing his hands in the air. It's all vanity. It's not worth anything. It's not, but he still taught people knowledge. Okay? And, and he's given them wisdom here. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. You can read the book of Proverbs to read what Solomon wrote, right? The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. So Solomon is just letting us know here that what he wrote was truth. He was careful to make sure of that. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. Now, a goad was used to, you know, like a sharp stick, that prodded a bull to get him to go to plow, right? He's saying the words of the wise are like goads, like that sharp stick poking you in the butt. Do something about this, right? And the nail and and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. So pause right there, real quick, because it's important to understand here. Solomon is teaching us that we should listen to the words of the wise, the word, wise words, right, that we find in the Word of God. Because they're like goads, right? And they give us a firm foundation like a well-driven nail. But don't go overboard with it because he says here in verse 12, "...of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh." So find the wise words to read and not the words of fools, not the words of the opinionated men and women out there, right? Find the wise words to read. Learn what you can from wise and godly people. Don't listen to fools. And take the time to enjoy life. Be a giver. Be a giver of your time, your life in general. Spend time with other people. You'll you'll become wise as a result. And the part here that I really wanted to see today that I wanted you to conclude with here is verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, so Solomon wrote all this. And he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So... What's the conclusion? Don't be consumed by this life, the things of this world. Be consumed by God. Reverence God and do what He says. Live your life for His glory and not your own. There is a judgment to come and nothing is hidden from the sight of God. So we need to honor God above all else and live in great reverence of Him. And... God wants us to enjoy what He gives us here in this life. The blessings, the things that He has given you, the the fruit that your work produces. God wants you to enjoy it, not be consumed by it. But He wants us to honor Him in everything we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You again for Your Word, Your Holy Word. It's a living, active Word, Lord. Every part of it, Lord, we can learn something from. We thank You for this writing of Solomon, that You gave him the wisdom to write this. That all these years later, Lord, we could sit and still learn from it, Lord. But Lord, all that we hear, Lord, all that we've heard in Your Word today will mean nothing if we don't get up and get out and live it, Lord. And live the life that You desire for us to live. Commit our hearts completely and fully to You as God. There is none greater than You. Thank You for Your love, Your grace in our lives, Lord. That You so loved the world that You gave Your only begotten Son. That whomsoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, Lord. And I pray for those that are listening or watching, Lord, that if they've never surrendered their lives to You, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would give their hearts completely to You. And for all of us here today and those of us that do profess to know You, Lord, oh, that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of You, Lord. That we would let go more and more of this world, Lord, and, and, and let go of the temporary things, of all the vanity of vanities that this world is, that this life is, Lord. And that we would hold dearly to You and to Your Word and Your truth. Again, God, thank You for Your love in our lives and thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.